and welcome to another evening of Frank Conversation here on Hard Copy, coming to you from our studios in Abuja. I'm Mauk Bayogun Yusuf. It's the festive season and time to say Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones. We hope you have the best of the holidays, regardless of what the challenges might be. A heart of gratitude does go a long way. Last week on the program, we wanted to know how much progress has been made since the Nigerian Governors Forum declared a state of emergency on sexual and gender-based violence. Activists in the space, Toyin Chuku Dozie and Choma Aguebo, gave us reason to hope, but also informed us that there was still a lot of work to be done in the sector. This week, we seek knowledge on what parents, caregivers, and the entire village of assistant parents, since they say it takes a village to raise a child, should know about preventing abuse, especially sexual abuse, this holiday season. My guest tonight is Irene Bangwell, who is an educator, co-founder of the NUSC 100 Naira a Day Secondary School, and a coach for children, particularly girls. Irene, welcome to Hard Copy. So I'm so happy to be here, Makwe. Compliment of this It's season. a real pleasure to have you on yes, set. Yes, yes. And I just want to quickly ask you about the 100 Naira a Day School. I know I heard it about, about two years ago or so. Um, how is it still running a school on 100 Naira? Is it still possible without galloping inflation? Yes, it is. Um, you know what we started in September 2019? Um, the model is that the 100 Naira a Day is not what keeps the children in school. Okay. It's just a commitment of their own families. Remember, the school is designed for children from low-income families. So the either children who have dropped out of school before are on the verge of dropping out. So the 100 Naira a Day has to be stable. It has to be the only kind of commitment they have to you know, come to school with. So yes, there's been a lot of inflation. But thankfully, because the children are co-sponsored, so all the changes that come happens between us and their co-sponsors. So um, it's been amazing. We've, we've done quite a lot. We went from 30 children, and today we have 110 children we're catering for. This is our fourth school year. And so yes, many of the families, I say many of the families are still paying 100 naira a day because it is still not all of them that can even afford 100 naira a day. So thankfully, because of the generosity of individuals and organizations within and outside Nigeria, our doors are still open and we're still able to provide them quality education at 100 Nairi Day. Well, again, I say well done. Thank you, ma'am. Now, while getting ready for this interview, I found some rather grim statistics. I okay. know, you know, we've just finished the 16 days of activism, yes. etc. Um, and I know that there is a lot of interest in Nigeria. Sometimes it's difficult to come across the statistics, but I did find this one from okay. UNICEF saying okay. that before the age of 18, at least one in 10 boys and four in 10 girls yes. would have experienced sexual abuse before yes. the age of 18. Yes. Um, this is pretty shocking. Um, and I'd like to know how prevalent this is in your own working experience. I'm happy that this is where we're starting. I, I'd just like to say that it's more prevalent than we would ever imagine. Mm -hmm. So the average parent out there thinks that this kind of stuff can happen in my home. And so when you're talking about abuse, sometimes where, where their mind goes to first is something that happens in school. But do you know that many of the children that come to schools to either touch another child in school have been repeatedly abused at home? And so school is where we start to see some of the fruit. A lot more has happened at home. So 
to give you typical scenarios, I have walked into a housekeeper molesting a one-year-old girl. Now, a one-year-old girl cannot speak up. I've walked into a housekeeper who was using her finger and just going up and down. We were in a, like a public set. Imagine like a party and a caregiver came to pick a baby and said, I want to change her diapers. And, but, but she was gone for a bit, so I went to check on her. And when I went, she was stroking this child repeatedly. What broke my heart was that she's a living maid, the mother is working, and so that's the child she's left with from morning till close of the day. And they were out here in a public place, and she could not restrain herself. She came to pick the child. So do you want to imagine what is happening? That's a one-year-old. At most, one year, six months. I've seen children that are way less, seven-year-olds. I've seen children that are 10. And some of them are not being molested by adults. They're doing stuff with another child. But because a lot is happening at home, they do it repeatedly at home till it becomes something they're addicted to. And then that starts to play out when they're in school, when in public places, when the person they do stuff with is not available, they start to prey on other children. So yes, it is very prevalent. Unfortunately, the average parent believes that it's not happening in their home. And it's a conversation that is difficult to have or even listen to. Yes, it is. Um, so how, do you, how does society or how do individuals who are concerned about this begin to approach it? So first and foremost, we have to get to a point where we are at ease with the conversation. Mark, one of the things that has helped me to be at ease with the conversation is thinking about my own childhood. When we all sit down and think about our childhood, either things that happen to us or things that happen to people around us, it helps us realize that this is, it's not supposed to be a norm, but this is something that has always been there in our society. We know where the loopholes were in our childhood, and then we can become proactive. For example, a big loophole in my childhood was coming back home to speak. I was nine years old when my music teacher in school called me into his office and put his hands in my vagina. And I went home and didn't talk about it until I was 35. So the real question I asked myself as I grew up was, why didn't you? Let me explain to you. I was eloquent, expressive. I was a child. If you needed to know what happened, you asked me. But something like that happened. And I didn't speak up until I was 35. So I realized the gap that was there. The conversation had never happened at home. I was in shock. So I am now in the place where I'm teaching my children to know that things like this can happen. And when it happens, you can respond. Now, because there's that foreknowledge, when a child gets into a situation, they kind of are not as shocked because now they can preempt. You can teach them how grooming happens. They can preempt and they can speak up. So just merely starting out at knowing that you're not a bad person because you didn't know or you didn't do anything, but you were just trusting. It's just that the trusting was in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So you have to be at ease with yourself. Think about your childhood and then take the bold measure to say, what were the possible gaps in my own time? How can I close them? What are the possible gaps today? How can I contribute to closing them? So all of us need to calm down and relax because it thrives when we are all, you know, we're, we're scared of having the conversation. The conversation is not that complicated. It isn't at all. Mm. Well, some parents don't know where to start yes. uh, usually. And then unhelpfully, there are yes. not so many resource materials out yes. there. And in recent times, I think a lot of people have also been depending on schools. Yes. But only recently we saw that conversation or the, will I say, the controversy it sparked 
the instruction by the Minister of Education that sexual education be removed from school curriculum. Uh, some women groups, of course, were up in arms against it. One of the strongest letters I read was that of the wife of uh, the former governor of Ikiti State, uh, Mrs. Bisi Fayemi. Um, and you also responded as well. You yes. seem to be supporting the minister yes, uh, when he said that uh, parents and religious institutions should be the ones to carry out sexual education, not the schools. Yes. Why is that? So I've been very fortunate to be someone who is playing in the three spaces. I run a school, I coach parents, um, where's the third place now? And I'm raising girls. Oh, you're raising girls? I'm raising girls, and then I'm a pastor, so I'm playing in the three fields. So as an educator, we already have a problem. The problem is that even in what we think that sex education is happening in schools, it really isn't. What we're having is reporting and correcting not necessarily proactive education other than public and private part. If someone touches you, go to the toilet. So it's not even been adequately done. So I want to imagine that there was an effort to design it curriculum-wise, and there may be content that the minister is not comfortable with. So as an educator, I don't even think school is the best place to put the responsibility of sex education. Ask me why. My children were going to this particular school at one point. It, it, a church-owned school, actually. Mm -hmm. And there was this literature textbook that was used by children in primary four. And this literature textbook, I believe it was well-intended. But inside it, it talked about rape, prostitution, big vocabulary that is not age-appropriate. Rape, prostitution, drug use. I mean, if you look at resources that are designed age-appropriate, the language is not strong like that. And so you can imagine children in primary four, maybe at the age of seven and eight, coming to ask you what prostitution is. Meanwhile, in the sequence of age-appropriate sex education, they're not supposed to understand the concept of sex as intercourse. So now you're talking about prostitution, you're not talking about sex for pay. So there's a lot of inappropriate materials that will get into the school system if the government approves for it to be a subject in school. So isn't that government more, uh, isn't that more about government derelicting on its duty? So we, we so I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Mm -hmm. And so in as much as it's a government thing, we have too many things that government is not doing. Some will be more costly than others. If government steps into sex education, it will be more costly than not fixing roads. Can this be done in partnership with religious institutions? So let the Muslims say what they're comfortable with that aligns with their values. Let the Christians also say, because I bet you if it gets into mainstream education, it's going to cause more problems than it currently is solving. So do you understand me? Do you know how many people have their own opinion about what sex education is? Do you know how many teachers stand in front of children to teach something in the curriculum and tell them, well, this is what I believe? Do you know how many teachers may be trying to impress a group of students and want to take a posture that those students are more comfortable with. It's too, it's too open-ended. And I thought that even if government wanted us to, or whoever the people, the advocates that were pushing for it to be mainstreamed into the curriculum, they should have made it public. You know how they bring the contents public? Parents look at it. I don't mean, I mean, when they're doing a lot of curriculum review in Nigeria, um, 
yeah, they pick a group of people, you know, different stakeholders from different sectors. But sometimes, I feel that sometimes stakeholders can represent themselves, their opinion, not the collective. So for a matter as dicey as sex education, it should have been public. For this age, CCC, what we want to teach. I was talking to someone that works um, for a particular organization, and I said, and the person had a problem with government throwing it out. I said, but we've not seen the document you guys were pushing for. She said, no, that the document is open-ended. All countries have a right to fit in what they want. And I'm like, no, you don't give anybody any open-ended thing. Let's agree on what the content will be. Let's agree on what the resources will be. And each time we need to review it, let us have that round table. We think this is no longer relevant, and there's a new challenge. We want to build that into the whole process. I don't know if you get me. So I'm at that place where I'm saying, the Nigerian education has quite a lot of, there are too many gaps. If Nigerian education, Nigerian government takes up sex education in a way that, especially how we are not thorough. Do you know how many books are approved in our schools that should never have been approved? Look at a book one time that went viral, uses of the head to carry load. Maybe through as an approved text material to be used in classrooms. You, we will be struggling with what has already gone in and how we can recall them. And we don't have such a thorough system that you can say in 48 hours we want these books out of the school system. We don't have that. So Nigeria is not ready for that kind of centralized provision. But now, there's now another opportunity for the government. Since you don't want to see it mainstream, call in experts, religious bodies, people that are working on the field. So I saw the letter to uh, Mrs. B. C. Fayemi, legitimate concerns she's raised, but it's not enough. It's not the whole perspective. There are concerns about morality. There are things that are acceptable in certain countries, but they're not acceptable here. And many times the advocates pushing it come from those countries that we may not always agree with the extent to which they consider their norm is not our norm. And so if the advocates are backed by those systems, there would always be a problem of acceptance. Even if it was well intended, even if the content does not even have the things we are concerned with, already everyone is like, no, I don't, want, I don't want that extent. I don't want that extent. And so I think there was something missing in the strategy as well. But right now, moving forward, I would always recommend take it out of the school system. But provide parents resources. If you feel that parents are slacking, of which so many parents are slacking, mm -hmm. let's partner with media and different things. Let, let, I mean, anything can go viral on internet. Information. I mean, we see materials at different government. I see videos on by maybe the Australian government on body safety, on different things different ages should know. So those things can be produced and circulated within the, you know, through WhatsApp on different places. The education can still happen, but in a very thorough way, all right? But it shouldn't, at schools, schools are not a route as far as I'm concerned. So let me ask you, why should parents be concerned about body safety, especially during the holidays? So many things, you know, um, you know, we're not a country that pays attention to data, but if you did, especially studying um, the data in different countries, people would notice that certain things spike during Christmas. Domestic violence spikes during Christmas. Sexual abuse also spikes during Christmas. Not love, I mean, would you would have thought it was love and good chair all through. You. So first and foremost, there's a lot of alcohol use during Christmas. So people are doing things that they would regret when it's over, but it's already been done. But I think the big thing for Christmas is that everybody's happy. And when everybody's happy, everybody's not paying attention. And when, and when it's Christmas, we all open our doors to family and friends from different places, especially for people who travel maybe back to the village where you're meeting with all the children and the cousins and the uncles, a whole lot 
happens during that season. Parents are distracted. Everyone is focusing on, have you eaten? Have you not eaten? Kids are being touched. And it's festive mood. And so kids may not want to speak up. An uncle that did something last Christmas, they didn't speak up his back. And he's going to continue because there was no issue raised during the year. So because of how the festivity is and how distracted people tend to be, a whole lot more happens during Christmas. What can parents do to prevent it? Education. Sis, the thing with abuse is that education makes a whole difference. And so what do I mean by education? Let kids know about things like grooming. I mean, I just finished the boot camp with girls. And when we started talking about grooming, it was really expansive. For a child to be abused, the perpetrator has to isolate them. And isolating them is not always physical. It could be emotional. So you're a parent, you have a relative that comes, and you have two daughters, and the person narrows in on one. You are my queen. You are the best. You are the this. When they're buying things, they favor that one child over. When people want to abuse children, they want to warm up to them. They want the kids to be comfortable with them. And so isolation starts to happen emotionally singling that child out. So first you're grateful this person is paying a lot of attention to your child. But you need to be smarter than that. And so even me when I was, when my kids were much younger, if someone comes to my house and starts to say one of my daughters is beautiful, I say there are two of them. I remind you that there are two of them. And I will not accommodate you making one child feel more loved over the other. So spread the love. If you can't share it, take it off, you know? So education makes a big difference. But it's okay for people to feel attached to one. For instance, if an uncle witnessed the birth of one, or, uh -huh. you know, how do I put it now? There is just an, an attachment. If it, could be, it could happen for whatever reason. Do we so, have to be suspicious all of the time? So this is how I say it. Anybody can love a child only in an isolated way, right? Anybody can love an is a child in an isolated way and there'll be nothing wrong with it. But that's also the way pedophiles love. And being a pedophile is not written on anybody's face. Even some people have those tendencies, but they'll never act on it. Do we have to go around? Because some, some parents might fear that this might make them paranoid. Okay, so now let me... Suspecting everybody. No, don't suspect anybody until they cross the, the line. Your goal is, I don't want my child to be naive at the point they cross the line. So let me give you an instance. So it's the holiday, someone is visiting the house. They've come with a lot of gifts, but they bought extra for one child. And they're verbally saying that they love that one child. And they suddenly plan a treat that they want to go just them and that one child. They've started crossing the line. Anything that is going to make that person have an isolated experience with one child, even if you are wrong, it's better to err on the side of caution. Do you get the point? So let me give you an example. I was in school. I had a music teacher that had a statewide competition. All the kids wanted to be in that competition. And so it was a privilege if he sent for you. It's close of school. Then he sends for me to come. Close of school means the building is going to be deserted. And I'm going to be left alone with him. Deserted to the point that there are no other teachers. So when we train our kids, they start to know how many people will be there by the time. I'm being asked to do this. And the child can say, no, uncle, let me come tomorrow. I'll come during break tomorrow. So that if, if the man or the woman that was trying to isolate them didn't mean anything, the child has postponed that good meeting to another time. Do you get my point? We're not trying to become paranoid. We're trying to become aware. 
You know, many times when we're concerned about what children do maybe as teenagers, the choices they make as teenagers, kids who are abused early in life are most likely to engage in risky behaviors later on. So we're trying to reduce, we're, we're, we're trying to close the gap today so that we don't have bigger problems in the future. So it's not paranoia at all. It's just being careful. It's not, it's just frying the chicken and remembering that your house could be burnt mm. on the same day. So we're equipping the children to know this is what grooming looks like. People who love you will not touch your private body area. The children who were in the house, an uncle has been tapping their butt, including older children, tapping their butt, touching their breast, laughing with them, and saying it's their favorite uncle. They didn't tell the parent. The parent has no idea. The child thinks that's an expression of fondness, or he's just joking. But he's warming up for when he's going to do something perhaps more complex. So it's really education, just calling kids to know, look, there are these kind of possibilities, again, in an age-appropriate way. So like when I teach three to five-year-olds, I teach them the signs. When someone says you're special and you're the only one that is special, and then insists that they want to take you somewhere. Like I teach girls that if an uncle comes to the house and sends, and it was just you and the nanny at home, then he sends that nanny on an errand. You're going to have an isolated experience. So the moment uncle says, Auntie, this should go and buy something, you hold Auntie this hand and go with her. So that it's the education. The uncle may not be a bad person, but you've started teaching the child to be conscious of that. So in the event that they are now with someone who is questionable, the child is at least aware. So the whole idea of giving body safety education is to equip the child to protect themselves from sexual harm. Mm, what about babies? Think. I mean, because you ah, get the instances of babies and not naturally mothers will feel that it's a female help, it's a nanny, it's an auntie. My baby should be safe. What do you do? So I like the idea where, I like how you said should be. We don't know. So for me, body safety education for me starts when kids are three. That's when I provide it. And so between when they're one and three, parents have to be responsible for them. So what does that mean? We need to vet extra the people who leave them, the people who leave the children in their care. For instance, I would not have a nanny stay home with my child that is less than three. I'd rather use a crutch. A crutch is more public. Remember, pedophiles thrive in isolation. A crutch is public, and um, if, you're, if you're not coming too late to pick the child, where that child is left with one minder or one teacher, the risk is not that high. The risk is not really as much. It's possible, but it's not as much as leaving your child in the care of someone from morning till night, a child who can't talk, a child who can't speak up, and all of that. So body safety education really starts at the age of three where the child is aware they can speak up. And I, I left out something very critical. In the event that something happens, the child must know that they can speak up, regardless of how they contributed to it. Let me give you an example. If you've taught your child that, oh, don't take gifts from strangers, and they took a gift from a stranger, and the stranger did something wrong, you know, the child will be filled with the guilt of, I took a gift from a stranger. And that can stop them from speaking up. But you have to teach your children that no matter what you contributed to the process, the speaking up is a constant. You have to speak up. The most important thing is speaking up. Forget about the rules you flouted to get there. You get the idea? What about teenagers? An uncle touched them the first time. It felt good. Because sexual, sexual abuse is not always painful. It felt good. Then the child comes to a realization that, Ah, I shouldn't have done this. But the guilt doesn't let them speak up. And they don't realize that in speaking up, they stop the reoccurrence. When they don't speak up, the other person believes that 
it's, they, okay. it's okay and they continue to do it so it's education about how to protect themselves and speaking up in the event that something has happened it's a pretty deep and complex conversation very but very and maybe a little uncomfortable but one that parents mustn't shy yes and away run away from, from. yes yes well irene bangal thank you so much thank you so for much coming for coming on hard copy this beautiful evening thank you that's the program tonight we hope you've learned a thing or two and we'll have conversations with your children however uncomfortable that will be this holiday season it will not only do your family great good but the society at large please send us what your thoughts are if you have any responses to this program using the handles on your screen thank you for watching i'm mao good night